be still. And remember the attributes of Almighty God. I would like to read over you scripture. Just be still. Just listen to the word of God taken from the Psalms. Sing for joy in the Lord. O you righteous ones, praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord. Sing praises to him. Sing to him a new song. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all. He who understands all their works. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in him, for we trust in his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in these times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Cease striving. Be still. Know that I am God. I would like to invite you into a moment of stillness 
with your eyes closed so that you could be undistracted. And I would like you to think about what's on your mind and what's weighing down your heart, what your shoulders are too weak to carry. It's the same and yet it's different for all of us. Think about it. What causes you to worry? What weighs you down? What keeps you awake at night? What hurts? What breaks your heart? What do you want to see? What do you need? Be still and know that the Almighty is God. Cease worrying. Cease striving. Be still. Know that he is God. Is it a physical challenge you or a loved one is facing? A disease process, an illness, a physical impairment of some kind due to an accident that nobody saw coming. It hurts you. It breaks your heart. Be still. What do you need to know about God at this time? Do you need to remember that he cares? Do you need to remember that he's a healer? What is on your mind? Is it financial? Are you struggling along with many? Are you concerned about the future? Are funds dwindling or not there at all? Are you wondering about sources of income and sustenance? Be still. Cease worrying. What do you need to remember about God during this moment? Do you need to tell him, oh God, I now remember that you own the cattle on a thousand hills? Do you need to tell him, oh God, now I remember that if you did not withhold from me the best, your son, how will you not also with him freely give me all that I need? Be still and remember that about almighty God. You're in a family. Is it in disarray? You are not alone. You just feel that way. Do you ache over family dysfunction, division, divorcement? Be still. What do you need to remember about God? Do you need to remember that he is a deliverer? Do you need to remember that he holds all things together and has the capacity even to hold together your disintegrating family? Take a deep breath. Be still. Know this about God. Do you feel absolutely alone even as you sit here in a crowd denied? Do you feel lost in it? Odd. A misfit, 
Be still. Know this about God. I will never leave you or forsake you. Remind yourself that he knows you by name. And that he did not only forgive your sins. If you're a Christian, he also adopted you into his family. Yours perhaps have, have, ha, has left you with a rejection message. And you bear it even down to this day. So you feel so alienated and alone. Be still. Do you need to remember? My Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Do you need to remember? You can refer to him as Abba, Daddy. Do you need to remember he's the perfect dad you may never have had and always now will? Be still. Be still. Are you filled with anxiety? Do you have attacks? Does it affect you? What do you need to remember about God? Do you need to remember that he's the prince of peace? Do you want his peace to call the shots, to umpire what's going on in your heart? Be reminded of who he is. Be still. Thank him. Praise him for being the prince of peace. Remember him. Are you experiencing quite a lot of distress because you know death seals our eternity and you know some loved ones close to you whose eternity still hangs in the balance. They don't yet know the giver of life eternal. They have not yet put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You ache over it. Be still. Take a deep breath. Breathe it out. What do you need to know? Remember about Almighty God. Do you need to call him by his name? O thou great Redeemer. Do you need to remind yourself? He aches over the situation of your lost loved ones more than you ever could. For he desires for none to perish, but for all to be saved. Do you need to remind yourself you're not alone in this? Be still. Know that he is God. Are you suffering from a kind of unsettledness due to existence in general? You can't take one more piece of news because it's so bad. On every front, on every channel, and through every source, you're not hearing anything good. You don't know what tomorrow holds, and you fear what it may hold for children or grandchildren you may have. Are you unsettled that way? Do you feel you're being put upon by circumstances beyond your control? Is it that kind of generic upheaval going on due to the day in which we live? Be still. 
What do you need to know? What do you need to remember about God? Is it this? Our God reigns. Lord Jesus, we bow before you, simply reminding ourselves of your attributes. O thou great beyond who came near, alpha, beginning, omega, end, with no beginning nor end, everlasting God, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Oh God, in the midst of changing circumstances which rattle us and shake us, how we praise you for being the rock, the unchangeable, immutable rock. And we praise you for your compassionate heart. It is demonstrated by tears which you said, oh Lord Jesus, you wept. Oh, God, thank you for being the perfect balance between might and mercy. We praise you, oh, God, for knowing future things from the beginning. You're not waiting for any outcome on November 6th. You orchestrate all the things that concern us, and they are all to redound to your glory. And you have the capacity to use any president or world leader, one way or the other, to accomplish your purposes. You truly have the whole world in your hands. Omniscient one, we praise you. You need not be informed. You know all things about all things. Nothing takes you by surprise. Oh, God, even as the nations orchestrate themselves as over against your will, you sit enthroned and laughed, and we call you by name, Abba, Father. Oh, God, the power of your word, through it you spoke. You didn't labor, you spoke into existence what is. Let there be and there was, and you have the capacity to create and recreate and transform all things even today through the power of your word, and we have access to it. No, oh God, we praise you for you love being a dad, and we are learning to love being your children. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your kind intentions toward us. Thank you that the position you occupy is not yours by vote. You are the most high God. We praise you, O oh God. You are not one amongst equals. You are categorically different. How could it be that you, eternal being, would have become enfleshed so as to be one of us, we are overwhelmed by the irrationality of your love, but we accept it. We bask in the sunlight of your love. And we thank you for what's going to come. You've told us of the end of things, victory 
in Jesus. The process of getting there is rough on us. You know this, don't you, Lord? But we praise you for your supply. Nothing can come our way beyond our ability based upon your gracious supply to deal with it. We are fearful, hence you command against it. Do not fear, you say. Do not fear, for we are so prone to it. Oh God, have we told you lately how much we love you. And we admit it's because you have first loved us. This does not come easily for us. We've not seen you with the eye yet. But we know you nonetheless. We praise you, O oh God, that you're not mysterious and in the shadows. You have revealed yourself not only in 66 books of written revelation, but in a person enfleshed, born, so as to die. Have we thanked you today, Lord, for dying in our place? We are grateful. We have been good newsed, thoroughly good newsed, and we must resist the temptation to be infected by bad news. Thank you, O oh God, for taking up your residence. How do you fit in our puny little lives? But this you have done. This is a miracle, and we're so grateful for it. And we see evidence of it. We're different than ever before. You've given us your thoughts and your heart and your perspective and your understanding, and we must be your kids. We want to resemble you more and more and more. We're not doing so hot all the time. And we thank you for your patience as we stumble along the way. You are patient like none other. Lord, I love the word you use in your word, long-suffering. Oh, God, we have much to be thankful for. We're losing a lot, but what matters most can never be forfeited. You, our bond, our connection, our covenant, our adoption, our pardon, and our destiny one day to gather around the throne. Sing your praises throughout eternity in the most harmonious gathering of believers ever. You're looking to us with a benign and compassionate and loving gaze that reminds us all is forgiven. It is canceled, the debt of our sin. It is finished. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Oh, God, we refuse to let the joy of our salvation be extinguished by the matters at hand, for you matter most. And, oh God, we remind ourselves that you, our God, you reign. Amen, amen. Thank you, John Moore. Amen. So uh, I know, I don't know about you, but now I'm ready for November 6th, November 7th. I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Our God reigns. I needed to be reminded. I'm still. I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm going to be still. I'm going to remember who God is. I forget. You know what I mean? It's helpful to be with you. You're a reminder of who God is and what he has done.
The writer of Hebrews has told us what the Lord Jesus has done. And I hope you've been fascinated and rejoiced in it. It's a finished work. The writer of Hebrews has told us what the Lord Jesus has done, and he has taken pains to say now, in light of what he has done, you do this. And what he has told us, after telling us what the Lord Jesus has done, is to do three things. The first of which we discussed a couple weeks ago. He said, draw near. That's what the writer of Hebrews said. In light of what this Lord Jesus has done, you should draw near. He made an access. You could never otherwise have had no religion, no sense of righteousness, no good deeds. Nothing could have given you the access to the throne of grace given to you by the Lord Jesus. Because of his shed blood, it's a road you travel straight on into the throne room of grace to be hugged by an otherwise unapproachably holy God. In light of what the Lord Jesus has done, the writer of Hebrews said, draw near. And then tonight, he's going to tell us about two other things. Mandates, not suggestions, commandments. In light of what Jesus has done, here's the application. You do this. The first is to draw near. And then there's a second and a third. The second is to hold fast. Draw near, hold fast, and then the third gather together. And it's that one I want to focus on. So the writer of Hebrews, we've been calling it the letter of better. It's better, the things contained in Hebrews. And so the writer of Hebrews tonight in chapter 10, verses 23 to 25, is going to tell us about a gathering that is far better than any gathering, than any assembly imaginable. And to do this, take a look with me at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us, so here's the second mandate, hold fast the confession of our hope. See, my hope is built on nothing less but yeah, and righteousness. And so, and so the writer is saying, hold, hold fast to that. You can fast your dependence on that. Hold fast to the words and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not waver. Hold fast the confession of our hope. Do it without wavering. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. So here's the problem. You and I as Christians get shaky when we begin to see evidence of our unfaithfulness. And we think our unfaithfulness shakes God. So we begin to doubt whether we can continue to be hopeful in the assurance of salvation which he has given us because we are unfaithful. We wonder about whether he's going to keep his word when in fact from time to time, sadly, we don't keep ours. So I love the fact that the writer of Hebrews, under inspiration and understanding human nature, tells us, stop looking at human nature and feast in focusing on divine nature. Though we be unfaithful, he remains faithful. We have our ups and downs, that's the way it is. That's why we're told, don't put any confidence in the flesh, but instead, our confidence is to be in the one who is divine. Though we be unfaithful, he remains faithful. Therefore, hold fast. So God gives us help. Here's help for hanging in there and for holding fast. You can stumble from time to time, but I saw it coming. You didn't disappoint me because I expected it. I know what you're made of. You have to be convinced about it. 
You're a human, you see. I've implanted my spirit in you, but you are not fully like me, yet you're in the process of being made holy. You're going to get there. One day you'll be presented before the throne, holy and blameless and beyond reproach, but you ain't there yet. You are in process, but I want you to know, even though from time to time you're not faithful to me, I am faithful to you, because your unfaithfulness cannot shake my faithfulness, because I am God and you ain't. So you have no power over me. You cannot persuade me out of what I promised you. I promised you forgiveness, and I'm taking you with me. And I promised you I will never leave you and forsake you. Now, you feel I ought to, and I ought to, because you ain't so hot. But I'm telling you, I don't play by those rules. You want me to play by the rules of what's fair. No, the rules of my game are grace. Amazing grace. So in spite of your stuff, in spite of your unfaithfulness, I am going to bestow upon you my gracious faithfulness. Therefore, hold fast. That'll help you. But then God says you need more help. And God uses something else to help us hold fast. You know what it is? Us. (laughs) Can you believe it? He uses us to actually help us. Check it out. Verse 24. And let us. Consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That's what we're told to do. We have impact on one another for good or for ill. The commandment, in light of what Jesus has done, the commandment is work on influencing one another for good, not for ill. Specifically, think, consider, how can you stir up those around you to love and good works? Why do they have to be stirred up? Why do your fellow Christians have to be stirred up to love and good works? I'll tell you why. Because it doesn't come naturally. It has to be stirred up. Other stuff doesn't have to be stirred up, does it? Lust does not have to be stirred up. There it are. Temptation, anger, whatever. Self-centeredness. This is, we come with all that equipment. But this love and good deed, that is new stuff. So we have to stir it up. Do you notice the mandate is not for you to be loving and do good deeds, even though the Bible says that often. No, this is different. This is for you and me to consider how we can help others to get with the program of love and good deeds. That's called church. So this is saying, this is saying, look, you're thinking about a lot of stuff. In light of what Jesus has done for you, this is what you need to think about. You have to think about how you can encourage Christians around you in your local body, in your assembly. How could you encourage others to love and good works? Now, to do so means something. It's kind of a drag. To do this means we have to take the focus off of ourselves and put it onto others. And that's a real drag. Let's just face it. We're stuck on ourselves. That's just the way it is. We are self-centered. We don't teach any classes about that around here. We're just like all PhDs on self-centeredness. It's just there. There it is. So, so, So to do this, for me to be thinking, when I come to church on Sunday or Wednesday, whatever it is, for me to be thinking, oh, God, how can I stir up fellow Christians to love and good works, oh, my goodness, that means I have to stop thinking about myself. Oh, boy, that's just a real challenge. But that's what it's called for. And by the way, you see the word stimulate? Let's consider how to stimulate or stir up. Uh, From it, we get the word paroxysm, which means convulsions. This is if you get the picture. So look at this. 
Someone walks into church, a Christian, on a certain day, and you can tell by their countenance and by their nonverbals they're depressed, they're down, and they're discouraged. Your job is to think about what you could do to stir them up so that... (laughs) That's the picture. That's the picture. What can you do? How about a word? How about a look? How about a touch, as our pastor instructs us quite regularly around here, and for good reason. How about something like that? That's the word. Give them convulsions so that they can be actively engaged in the process of acts of love and good works. In light of what Christ has done for us, this is what we are to do for our fellow uh, Christians. But how can we do that if we don't come to church? (laughs) We can't. So the writer says in verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. Folks, do you know when that was written, the church was still pretty much in its infancy and folks were were already not coming to church? Look at that. Thousands of years ago, for crying out loud, why not? Same reason today. Busyness. You know, life is busy. There's stuff to do. Why not sleep in? Also, persecution. They experienced it more. I think we will. It's up ahead. Many Christians around the world are already experiencing uh, persecution today. And therefore, boy, if I'm going to go to church and be beat up and maybe even have my life taken from me, I might just be an undercover Christian and stay home. So persecution. And then here's another thing that keeps people from church. This just does it. It's hurt. We hurt one another. That's the way it is. It shouldn't be, but it it happens. You've heard this. I'm never going back to that place. I've been hurt. We don't want to minimize the hurt. It's legitimate, but it happens. But, But there's nothing to say about that. You see, here's the deal. Church is made up of people, and people sometimes do things that hurt each other. There is no solution to that. But here's the deal. If you stay away from church because you've been hurt at one time, you're not going to be able to do what you are commanded to do, which is to encourage one another by gathering together. And the Bible speaks of a whole host of other one another's. You know, get together, encourage one another, but there's a whole long list of one another's. I found close to 40 of them today. I won't read all four, but I just want to give you an idea. Uh, and, and by the way, these one another's, you might say, but I don't have to come to church. I can do some of these one another's without going to church. That's true, but you can't do them all. There's no way. And you got to, I'm telling there's no way that the best context in which to do these one another's is once in a while at Starbucks. I mean, enjoy your coffee, but that is not church. That is not the local, I mean, Here are the one another's. Confess your sins. All of these require attendance. Confess your sins to one another. Build up one another. Comfort one another. Pray for one another. Be devoted to one another. Be at peace with one another. Greet one another. Be kind to one another. Abound in love for one another. Live in peace with one another. Love one another. Have fellowship with one another. Take communion with one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Forgive one another. 
serve one another, care for one another, be hospitable to one another, show forbearance to one another, submit to one another, and then the one another here. Don't forsake assembling together with one another. Folks, you can't do your job if you don't show up for church. By the way, you see the phrase gathering together or assembling together? It's only used two times in the entire New Testament. One is here in Hebrews, and the second is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Listen. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. That's the only time, second time, when that phrase gathering together is used in the New Testament, here's the point. We are to be gathering regularly together now because we is going to be gathered together then. Folks, get used to the folks you're sitting next to. <laughs> we are stuck. <laughs> get used to gathering together now because we're going to be gathered together then. Yeah, but some say I don't have to come to church. My church is my computer, cyber church. Look, it's a good thing. You're sick, you can't come, great. Don't get me wrong. It's a good thing. But not as a substitute for real church. See, cyber church cannot do what real church can do. See, in order to do what we are told to do, encourage one another, folks, attendance is necessary. And you want to know something really interesting? Just by attending, you're doing your job. Don't you think it's an encouragement to see people? Let me ask you a question. What encourages you more, empty seats or filled seats? Yeah, even if it's filled with somebody you don't know and like that much? (laughs) Just by coming, you're encouraging those around you. So cyber church is a good thing, but it could really, really be a bad thing. In fact, the writer says here, no, 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 don't forsake assembling together, as is the habit uh, of some. In fact, I want you to encourage one another. And then he says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day is that? It's the day of the Lord. He's coming again. Did you know that? And as you see the day of the Lord drawing near, you know what's happening? Life for Christians in particular is going to get tougher. Why? Because Satan sees the day of the Lord drawing near too. So he turns up the burner and uh, it turns the world against Christians. We're seeing this. I'm not making this up, right? You understand that we're under fire. So, so, so if you're seeing changes, most of which are not good and which disturb you, if you're seeing I can't do it. If you're seeing indications that the Lord is coming soon, all the more reason to show up for church. But what's happening for some Christians is the opposite. They're saying, you know, the world's coming to an end. You can't count on anyone. Everyone's lying to me. All of these politicians are making promises we know they can't keep. No, I've just had it. I'm cynical. I've had it. I'm tired of those hypocritical Christians. I don't like the songs. I don't, whatever the deal. No, this writer says, if you're so astute in reading the signs of the day, 
All the more reason for you to be intent on gathering together as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. Look, I know we don't like to do this, but we need each other. Liking each other is optional. It's a bonus. But at the least, we need each other. All the more, as you see the day. Look, I got to tell you, we have our differences and we fight. We have fought different ones of us. It's not good, but that happens. Earlier tonight, I was out there in our beautiful lobby just sitting and talking. I felt home. I felt so good to be here in this family. We're on the same sheet, folks. We have the Lord Jesus in common. We believe in his name. We show respect to his word. We sing his praises. We're not looking for a better deal. He's the best. He's the only way to salvation. We have that in common. It's good to be in this place. It's good to be in this place. So in closing, uh, I'll make this, uh, what time is it? Oh, okay, good. I, I'm okay. Uh, the, uh, the Christian life can be likened to a race. Do you agree? You know, the Bible says, run the race with endurance, you know? Well, someone wrote a poem. It's very meaningful, called The Race. Perhaps you're familiar with it. D.H. Groberg is his name. Wrote, wrote a poem called The Race. And in it, it's a story of a young boy in a race who doesn't do so well. But from the side, he has his dad encouraging him on. And he finishes the race. I want to read it to you. It's a little lengthy, but I want to read it to you. I think you'll, I think you'll be encouraged by it. Because the dad on the sideline is your dad, your heavenly dad, and mine. And this is the kind of encouragement I think we want to show to one another in the race so that we finish strong. Let me read this to you. Quit. Give up. You're beaten. They shout at you and plead. There's just too much against you. This time, you can't succeed. And as I start to hang my head in front of all my failures face, my downward fall is broken by the memory of a race. And hope refills my weakened will as I recall that scene or, or just the thought of that short race rejuvenates my being. Children's race, young boys, young men, how I remember well. Excitement, sure, but also fear. It wasn't hard to tell. They all lined up so full of hope, each thought to win that race or, or tie for first or if not that, at least take second place. The fathers watched from off the side, each cheering for his son, and each boy hoped to show his dad that he could be the one. The whistle blew, and off they went, young hearts and hopes of fire. To win and be the hero there was each young boy's desire. And one boy in particular, whose dad was in the crowd, was running near the lead and thought, my dad will be so proud. But as they speeded down the field across a shallow dip, the little boy who thought to win lost his step and slipped. Trying hard to catch himself with hands flew out to brace. And amid the laughter of the crowd, he fell flat on his face. But as he fell, his dad stood up and showed his anxious face, which to the boy so clearly said, get up and win the race. He quickly rose, no damage done, behind a bit, that's all, and ran with all his might and mind to make up for the fall. 
so anxious to restore himself, to catch up and to win. His mind went faster than his legs. He slipped and fell again. He wished then that he had quit before with only one disgrace. I'm hopeless as a runner now. I shouldn't even try to race. But in the laughing crowd, he searched and found his father's face, that steady look which said again, get up and win the race. So up he jumped to try again, 10 yards behind the last. If I'm going to gain those yards, he thought, I've got to move real fast. Exerting everything he had, he regained eight or ten, but trying hard to catch the lead, he slipped and fell again. Defeat, he lay there silently. A tear dropped from his eye. There's no sense running anymore. Three strikes, I'm out. Why try? The will to rise had disappeared. All hope had fled away. So far behind, so error-prone, a loser all the way. I've lost, so what, he thought. I'll live with my disgrace. But then he thought about his dad, whom soon he'd have to face. Get up, the echo sounded low. Get up and take your place. You were not meant for failure here. Get up and win the race. With borrowed will, get up, it said. You haven't lost at all, for winning is no more than this, to rise each time you fall. So up he rose to run once more, and with a new commit, he resolved that win or lose, at least he shouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been, still he'd give it all he had and run as though to win. Three times he'd fallen, stumbling. Three times he'd rose again, too far behind, to hope to win, he still ran to the end. They cheered the winning runner as he crossed the line. First place, head high and proud and happy. No falling, no disgrace. But when the fallen youngster crossed the line, last place, the crowd gave him the greater cheer for finishing the race. And even though he came in last with head bent low, unproud, you would have thought he'd won the race to listen to the crowd and to his dad, he sadly said, I didn't do too well. To me, you won. His father said, you rose each time you fell. I need you to cheer me on when I fall. And you need me to do the same. I can't get it in front of my TV or computer. No political party could do that for me. We need each other. Do not neglect gathering together, as is the increasing habit of an increasing number who call themselves Christians. Don't do it. In light of Jesus coming for us, we could come together. In light of our future gathering together, we can gather together now. It is a mandate. It's a way of saying, oh, God, I value the family you put me into. This is where I grow to be more like you. Get up and win the race. Lord Jesus, thank you for cheering us on. And if we are to be like you, we must do the same. Thank you for the family. In any family, there are bumps, relationship issues. We have to work on things, and we do so with the mind of Christ. We try to forgive. We try to be kind to one another. We try to understand. We try to help. 
We try to set bounds. We try to admonish. We try to teach. We try to support and comfort and serve. And these are all the things that you have done for us. And you have said, go and do likewise. And if we don't do these things first and foremost amongst family members, why in the world would those outside the family desire to be included? And they will know you are Christians by your love. And the world can't see this if we cocoon ourselves in front of computers. We have to collectively gather together and show that the love of Christ for us overflows in our love for one another. Thank you for the family of God. This we pray in your name. Amen.